Good morning, Harmony. How's everyone doing today? If I sound a little funny, I woke up this morning and it's like, what happened to my voice? So it's almost like the enemy doesn't want me to preach this morning, but you can be praying for me that I'll make this through this, okay? So uh, I want to I start by sharing a story with, that happened about 35 years ago. My wife and I, this is before we came to the States, we were uh, attending a small church in rural Ireland. And because of its small size, it was hard to maintain a regular pastor. So on any given Sunday, we never knew who we were going to get, who the guest pastor was going to be. Sometimes the pastor was good pastor. He'd open the word and preach from it and had a good message. At other times, it's like it was one of them Sundays you wish you'd uh, snuck in your pillow and taken it out and had a little nap. Now, I hope there's no one here that this morning is going to feel that way. If you do, try and be discreet about it, okay? However, uh, of all the Sundays we went to, all the church services we went to on every Sunday, and we went every Sunday, there's one that sticks out in my mind that I will never forget. So to start with, the denomination we were attending had recently approved the ordination of women pastors, and on this given Sunday, yes, you guessed it, in comes the pastor, and she's a female. So the first thing... That's the first thing that made me sit up and think, because I'm like, I'd never seen or heard a woman pastor before, so being the open-minded person that I thought it was, I was like, okay, I'm going to listen, see what's going on here. So uh, everything is going well. She gets up, uh, opens the Bible, and reads from Genesis chapter 4. I told you this, this Sunday was indelibly etched in my mind, right? I even remember the passage. She read... Genesis chapter 4, she read the story of Cain and Abel. Great story, right? But this is where the wheels came off the bus. She closed her Bible and says, Now what lessons, what moral lessons can we learn from this fable? Have you ever been somewhere where there's a warning siren going off and the red light is flashing and you hear this loud ear piercing, bop, 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 bop? Well, that's what's going off in my head. It's not the fact that it's a woman that said it. It could have just as easily been a man. That wasn't the point. The troubling part for me was that an ordained minister of the gospel a shepherd, supposedly, of God's people was taking God's word, the Bible, as a book of fables, a book of fairy stories where we can learn to be better people. And in my head, I'm absolutely screaming. How can you lead people in the truth if you don't even believe the truth yourself? Well, if you're thinking this is just a more modern problem, let me tell you, it's not. In fact, the story we're going to be looking at this morning is a 3,000-year-old story. And in this story, we have two priests, two ministers, who are plain and simple in ministry for themselves, their own greed, their own satisfaction, and not for God. So if you've been following along with us in this new series, we're the third week into it, No King But Jesus, you'll know that we're in 1 Samuel chapter 2. So if you haven't already found your way there in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 2, go ahead and turn there or on your iPad or your phone or whatever. If you don't have any of them with you, feel free to grab a Bible in front of you, one of the, one of the uh, auditorium Bibles. You can find that on page 176. 
And you'll remember that chapter 1 introduces us to a woman by the name of Hannah who was heartbroken because she's barren and she couldn't have kids. And this sets us up for the scene that was to follow. She goes to the tent of meeting. They didn't have a temple yet. It was a tent of meeting, a place where they went to worship. And she pours out her heart to God asking for a son and says, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. And Eli, the priest, hears her praying, and he says, hey, God's going to answer your prayer. By the end of the chapter, she's rejoicing. She has her son, and she's giving him back to the Lord. Then last week, we started in chapter 2, and we, we, we saw the prayer of Hannah, a prayer of rejoicing because God had blessed her with this son. Now, as much as this, hard as this must have been to give her son back to the Lord, to serve in the temple all of his life. She's rejoicing. So here's where we are. And starting in, in, in chapter, uh, or verse 11. So chapter 2, verse 11, 1 Samuel. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Okay? So <clears throat> we see Elkanah. That's Hannah's husband, Samuel's father, dropping their young son off with the priest, Eli. He's going to be serving there. But what we're going to see is that everything's not right, all right in the house of the Lord. Something is really messed up. Something is really wrong in the house of the Lord. So let's keep reading and find out what that is. Verse 13. Now the sons of Eli, Eli's the priest, remember, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. So we've just been introduced to Eli's two sons, whom we'll get to know as Hophni and Phinehas. And the first thing we are told about them is that they are worthless men who did not know the Lord. Worthless meaning there was no good qualities in them. And not knowing the Lord. It didn't mean that they didn't know who God was. No, they were, they were brought up in church. They knew who God was. But that not knowing the Lord mean, means that they did not have any desire to worship him or, or honor him or confess to him or serve him. No vested interest in a personal relationship with him whatsoever. So Hophni and Phinehas, they are the priests now. They are the guys. So let's go ahead and keep reading and see what they were up to. Verse 13. So the custom of the priests, remember that's Hophni and Phinehas. The custom of Hophni and Phinehas are the priests. With the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand and would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first, then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. 
Thus the sin of the young man was great in the sight of the Lord. For the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, the law that God gave Moses gave all the rules for how things were supposed to be conducted concerning the Old Testament sacrificial system. And to be quite honest, we wouldn't have, if we were, we were preaching on this for a month, we wouldn't have time to get into all the details of that. So I'm just going to give you the highlights as how this pertains to what's going on here in Shiloh, where the house of the Lord is in Shiloh, right? And, and, and what's going on here is that every year, the people were supposed to come make a pilgrimage to the house of the Lord, and they're supposed to bring a sacrifice. We saw Hannah and Elkanah doing that. They come every year, right? Well, they're supposed to come every year. They're supposed to bring a sacrifice. And then there's a solemn ceremony as they bring their sacrificial animal. Let's say it's a lamb, and you watch as the priest slits his throat and spills his blood. It was solemn because this was a reminder that death is the consequences of sin. And as you watch, you think, that, that should have been me. That, that lamb took my, died in my place. It's a solemn reminder of our condition before God. But also a solemn reminder, that, a great reminder that there's grace and that there's a substitute for us. And of course, all this was looking forward to Jesus, who was the perfect lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb who, who was sacrificed and shed his blood on the cross for us. That when we go to him and recognize our sin before him, he is there to forgive us. But what happens when we take ownership of our sins? We recognize our sins, are grieved by it, and confess it. Yes, God forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that's the grace, that's the great news, that's the good news, right? And what happens when we're forgiven? It's like a great load is taken off our shoulders, right? We're, we're, we're so happy, we're rejoicing. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the people are told to go to the place of God's choosing at this point in time, it was in Shiloh. And they'll go there along with their sacrifices. And when they sacrifice it, then there's the time. After the solemn ceremony, there's the time for rejoicing. And they were supposed to take the sacrificed animal. And they were supposed to prepare for the meal. And they were supposed to bring whatever else they wanted to eat. And whatever else they wanted to drink. And they were supposed to celebrate with joy before the Lord. This was a great time to celebrate but part of the celebration was to burn off the fat of the sacrifice before you ate of it. It was to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Think what that would have been like. All the sacrifices going on, all that fat dripping down on the charcoal, and all that smell going up. It would have been like walking through the greatest barbecue cook-off ever. Anybody getting hungry yet? Anybody ready to go home and break out the grill? Now, part of the deal was that according to the law in Leviticus, chapter 7, the priests were to get part of the sacrificial animal. They were to get the breast and the right leg or the right thigh of the animal. Okay, so it's not like they didn't get anything. They were well cared for. Fair enough. 
But this was not good enough for our two clerical villains, Hophni and Phineas. You see, something is going on in Shiloh that absolutely stinks. Their portion was not enough, and in their greed, they send out their henchman with his three-pronged grappling hook to grab and snag whatever he could from what everyone else is cooking. And in their pot, he's like, oh, I want some of yours too and, and some of yours. And they're like, hey, hey, dude, dude, hey, 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 if you want some of the T-bone steaks, if you want some of the ribeyes, you can have them, but you just let us burn off the fat first. It's part of the thing. And he's like, no, we want it now. We want the raw meat and we want the fat. And if you don't give it, we'll just take it. These priests were supposed to be responsible for shepherding the people into an attitude of worship. But can you imagine what was happening in the hearts of the people as they saw the priests acting in this way? I was thinking how we could even relate to that in today. And I was thinking, imagine, so, so in their sacrificial system, it was all about the blood being shed, the recognition of their sins and how that was paid for. And what do we do that? We, we do that during Holy Communion, right? So imagine you come in here on a Sunday morning and, and you know we're going to celebrate communion and you get the little package, you know the way we do it with the wafer and the juice, and you give them that so you know at some point in time we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion. So at, at the time, prepared time, you think, okay, we're going to remember as we eat the wafer, we eat the bread, we're going to remember the broken body of Jesus. We're going to remember his, his shed blood for us as we drink the juice. But just before this happens, the pastors come up here and set up a big, big table, big banqueting table. And on it, there's all kinds of lavish food. There's lobster and steak and shrimp and bacon-wrapped shrimp and you name it, and, and goblets of wine and beer and everything, and the pastors get up and say, cheers, let's celebrate Holy Communion. And up here, we're, we're pigging out and, and, and getting hammered <laughs> as you drink, eat your saltine cracker and your thimble full of juice. Now, I'm sure that wouldn't lead you into an attitude of worship, right? In fact, you'd probably be sitting here and saying, what in the world is going on? There's something not right about this. Why are we even here? Well, in essence, that is exactly what's going on in Shiloh with Hophni and Phinehas. And you think the Lord was okay with this? No, not even close. That's why verse 17 says, Thus the sin of the young man, Hophni and Phinehas, was great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. This is some pretty heavy stuff here going on. But we keep getting a little reprieve from the heaviness and getting a little glimmer of hope and insight into what's happening at the same time. The underlying story, so to say. Remember we started with Samuel, that little one verse. And now we're back to Samuel again. Let, let me read verse 18 through 21. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year. When she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman. 
for the petition she asked of the Lord. And then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. This is the underlying story. So there's two kind of stories going on here. There's Samuel, and then there's the evil practices of the priest. Now, we're going to get back to this, but I want you to hold on to that thought here a second. But now, back to the main event, verse 22. Let's keep reading. Now, Eli was very old. Eli's the priest, remember, the head guy. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear about your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, this is no good report that I hear the people here, the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Wow, you you just can't make this stuff up. This is, this, is, this is why would God even put this in the Bible? Because it's true and we need to learn from it. Eli, the priest, he's a very old man and he has handed over the reins to his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They are now the head guys. They're the ones leading the show in the house of the Lord. They're the ones that if you went to sacrifice the Lord, they're the ones you have to deal with. And as such, you'd think they would take some spiritual responsibility, but no, they do the exact opposite. They actually use their position of power to exploit the vulnerable for their own perverted gratification. You see, there was women whose whose job was to serve at the meeting place. Now, it doesn't say what they did, but I imagine with all the sacrificing going on and all the blood spilled and the, the body parts of the animals... There's always a lot of cleaning up to do, so maybe they were there for doing, but whatever they were there for, that's not the point. They were there to serve in the house of meeting, and what was what were Hophni and Phineas doing? They were taking advantage of these young women and taking them into the back room and having sex with them. And maybe it wasn't even in the back room, because what was going on was trending in Israel. And I know they didn't have Twitter back then. But it was trending because everybody, they didn't even need to, because everybody knew what was happening. The story was trending. Everyone knew of their wicked deeds. And finally, Eli calls his boys and he says, guys, what's going on here? What's going on? What are you doing? Everybody is talking about your evil practices. You think you're getting away with it? And, you know, if you were just sinning against men, you know, maybe God would mediate for you. But you're sinning against God the way you're treating his sacrifices. This is going to catch up with you. And Hophni and Phinehas are like, you hear the old man? I think he's a little senile. We're having a lot of fun. We're getting away with it. (laughs) We're not stopping for anyone. For the most part, you have to like old Eli. I mean, he's the one who who spoke for the Lord and told Hannah in chapter 1 that she was going to have a son. 
He was the one who blessed her husband Elkanah and their whole family. He's the one who took little Samuel under his wing to teach him about God in the house of the Lord. But this is where he fell short. He had a soft spot for his boys and refused to step in and stop them from what they're doing. He asked them, hey, you got to cut this out. But he didn't actually stop them. And I'm guessing this probably started way back when they were young boys, when they were running around doing mischief and getting away with murder. And were never disciplined for that. And we know this from later on in the chapter when when a man of God comes to Eli to prophesy and he says, thus says the Lord. And he says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And get this, and honor your sons above me. By fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Honoring your sons above me. This is a sobering thought. And as parents, we need to ask ourselves that question. We love our kids. I I don't doubt for a second here that there's anybody who doesn't love their kids. But when we love our kids more than we love God, when we honor our kids above God, we're in serious trouble here. Do we, are we like, like Eli that we, we want to, to run after our kids and help them fill every desire they have? Or do we say, hey, guys, I know you want all this stuff. I know you want to be in this tournament and you want to go there. But one thing we're going to do is we're going to honor God first above everything. We're going to make a commitment that we're going to be here at church every Sunday morning. We're going to be putting him number one. Yeah, but, but, but if I'm doing this and I can get a good scholarship and I'll, I'm going to get a good degree and I'm going to get a good job, I'll tell you what, Hophni and Phinehas had everything, but then they had nothing because they weren't honoring God first. So just something to think about. Do we honor our kids above God? Because that's not going to end anywhere good. And now... Hophni and Phineas are grown men. When their dad says, guys, you need to stop this. And like, boom, no. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of God to put them to death. Verse 25. You see, there's something that happens when we willfully choose to thumb our nose at God for a period of time and choose to ignore his calling for repentance. What happens is our heart gets hardened to the point where God will no longer allow us to have the conscience to repent. And if we don't have the conscience to repent, guess what? We're not going to repent. And guess what happens if we don't repent? We will be punished. And this is the case with Hophni and Phinehas. God says, your evil, unrepentant heart has led me to the point where I will bring destruction upon you. And in the hardness of your heart, you won't even be able to find room to repent. When I was in my 30s, I was working in a job in construction. And uh, who should start working with me by this, but this young man? We're going to call him Tom. That's not his real name, but we'll call him Tom today. Tom started working with me. Tom was in his early 20s. And I remember traveling to a construction site with Tom one morning in a pickup truck. And It must have been a Monday because he was just telling me about all the great time he had over the weekend, the parties he was going to, and and just 
the, the alcohol and, and the drugs and, and, and the women. There were so many women there, and they were so loose, and he was having all kinds of sex and everything. And I was like, whoa, 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 Tom, don't you realize? Do you, do you believe in a God? Well, yeah, I believe in a God. Do you believe that one day we're going to be answer, have to answer to him for our actions? Well, yeah. I says, do you believe in Jesus? Tom's hop stopped me. He says, hey, I tell you what. I know all about that. I used to go to Awanas when I was a kid at Harmony Bible Church in Danville, Iowa. He says, I know that for me to go to heaven, I've got to repent of my sins. I've got to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior and follow him. And he says, and I plan on doing that. But not yet. When I'm old and done having fun, that's when I'll do that. I can remember pleading with Tom and saying, Tom, you thumb your nose at God too long. He's going to say, enough is enough. We don't know the day when he's going to say, I'm done. I'm going to harden your heart now so that you can't repent. Tom got a job on a different site, and about a month later, my phone rang. It was a Friday evening. It was Thomas' dad. I also knew Tom's dad, and I answered the phone. I said, hey, how you doing? Not good. Not good, he says. Oh, what, what's going on? It was a Friday evening. I still remember it was a Friday evening. He says, well, Tom was up on, working on the construction site. It was on top of a roof. He says it was the end of the day. He was all excited to be able to have a good weekend and have fun. He says, but there was a few tools left near the edge of the roof, so he went over to pick them up. He slipped off the edge of the roof, hit his head on the way to the ground, and was dead before he hit the ground. It's a sobering story. But the reality of something happens when we, when we willfully choose to disobey the calling of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Do you remember Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5 where Moses tells Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. But Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Do you remember how this went for Pharaoh? God basically says, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> you're going to harden your heart against me? Then I'll harden your heart even more so that you can't come to the place of repentance till you and all of Egypt are destroyed. And that is exactly what happened. Or what about in Romans chapter 1, which talks about God's wrath being built up against the wicked and unrighteous? Verse 21 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor God, honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Like Hophni and Phinehas, many people today, like Tom, know about God, but rather than choosing to turn to God in repentance, they choose a life of sin. They know about God, but they don't repent. My friends, this is a da very dangerous path. Romans 1 goes on to say three times, in fact, that for those people who have chosen to thumb their nose at God, God gives them over to their sinful practices. It's kind of like 
They're saying, well, I don't care about you, God. I, you want to dig your own grave? All right, here's a shovel. Knock yourself out. God's not going to stop us. Perhaps there's someone here today and you know that the lifestyle you're leading is not that of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not too late. You're here today and that's good. Like Hophni and Phineas, you might have even grown up in church or like Tom, you're thinking, yeah, there's still time. No hurry, I'll get around to it. After I've had a little more fun, let me tell you, If that's you, you're playing with fire. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It is God's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. And that is why he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice, to pay the penalty of death that we deserve. Please, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, don't put it off one more day. Won't you make today when the day when you say, I'm not going to leave this building until I've talked to someone, until I've, till I've got on my knees, till I've said, God, I've been walking the wrong way. I need to change and go back to you. But back to our narrative. First Samuel chapter 2. Let's read verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. There's that breath of fresh air again after all the heavy stuff. You see what is happening here is that from every logical human perspective, everything would indicate, seem to indicate, that the church of its time was going to hell hell in a handbasket, so to speak. With Hophni and Phinehas at the helm, what hope is there but God? But God in his divine wisdom and in the midst of all the mayhem is quietly preparing Samuel for leadership, a man of God destined to take over the leadership of God's people and become the kingmaker. My friends, it's with great sadness that I know that some of you, even sitting right here in this congregation, have been deeply wounded by a church leader Somewhere at some church at some time in your life. This church leader might have been a pastor or, 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 or a children's worker or a youth leader or, or it, it doesn't matter. They might have talked a good talk, but their actions were more in line with that of Hophni and Phineas. And you've been wounded. 
Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says, Such people are false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I personally know of people who have been hurt in this way and haven't darkened the doors of a church in the past 15, 20, maybe even 30 years. But if that's you, let me tell you, people will let you down. And yes, there will always be wolves in sheep's clothing coming in to destroy God's church and God's people. We need to be aware of that and watch out for them and, and, and not sit under their teaching and try to remove them if that's the case. But don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. God is always in the, in the business of, of raising up new servants, often from the most unlikely of places, just like he did with Samuel, or he's going to do with Samuel. There's always hope when God's in the picture. All right, I've got a confession here to make. I was assigned the whole chapter, the rest of the chapter, and I've got halfway through it. And I may be in trouble from Pastor Chris for this. We'll see. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the rest of it for you, all right, so we can get through this, okay? So in verses 27 through the end of the chapter, we see a man of God coming to prophesy against the house of Eli because of the wickedness of his sons. And in the prophecy, we see several things, five things in fact. Number one, this is God speaking through this man of God. This man of God, who is he? He doesn't even say who he is. He's like the mystery man, right? But he comes anyway. And five things. Number one, he says that the strength of Eli's house will be gone. You remember, Eli's house was the powerhouse. This is where everybody had to come. But it's going to be gone, verse 31. Verse 32, all his descendants will die before they reach an old age. Remember, Eli was an old man, but no more of his family line are going to get old. He's the last of them, right? They're all going to die young. Number three, all his descendants will die by the edge of his sword at one point in time, apart from one who will be left to weep his eyes out. Verse 33. And then he goes on to say, and, and just so you know, if you, if you don't think all these are things are going to come true, I'm going to give you a sign. And we're going to see this in, coming up in the weeks ahead. Here's the sign. Verse 34. Hophni and Phineas, Phineas, your sons will die on the same day. And this will be a sign that everything else will also come true. And in the fifth one, verse 36 and everyone left in the household of Eli will become beggars. Verse 36. They, had, they, were, they were fattening themselves on every, everything here. But their time was coming where they'll be begging for a piece of bread. But with God, whenever there is trouble, there's always hope. Verse 35, stuck right in the middle of this, says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Yes, God is always at work. And when we think that everything is failing and there's no hope, he's always raising up his servants to carry this torch and shine the light in a dark world. We are going to see this in Samuel. The young boy coming up to be the kingmaker. We see this in the fulfillment of the prophecy 
of the, that with the last of Eli's priestly line being removed from being the high priest under King Solomon and being replaced by a man of God's choosing, Zadok, the new high priest. But ultimately, we know that Jesus has become our prophet, priest, and king forever. And when it boils right down to it, from our our earthly perspective, there are lots of kings and presidents and prime ministers and governors and bishops and everything else, men and women of power. But there really is no other king but God himself. He is the one who sits on high and directs the affairs of man. He sets up kings and takes down kings, Daniel 2.21. It is ultimately him, King Jesus, that rules the affairs of man. And when Hophni and Phinehas were determined to destroy Israel, God decided to destroy Hophni and Phinehas to save Israel. He's ultimately the one in charge. Did you get that? When Hophni and Phinehas were determined to destroy Israel, God decided to destroy Hophni and Phinehas to save Israel. So I started this sermon by telling you the story of of the church that my wife and I were going in, that troubling uh, pastor, the the story about that. Well, let me end by telling you that three years ago, we went back to that same church um, it was for my mother-in-law's funeral. And I was prepared and, and actually did give a gospel message. I was supposed to do the eulogy, shared about faith alone by the repentance of our sins in Jesus Christ for our salvation. But what made me really happy or more actually excited was to see that when I had lost hope in that church, God was raising up someone. And here was a young man who was the pastor, the permanent pastor of that church then. When I went back, and, and he, at the funeral, he gave a message that was absolutely blow your socks off. It was so great because he preached from the Word of God about Jesus Christ, not a book of fables, about the truth of who God is. And people were getting saved, and he'd started Bible studies in the community, and the church was growing. It was so good to see that we always have hope. I want to close by just calling out to everybody here and saying, hey, I don't know where everybody here stands this morning, but maybe you stand, maybe you stand in one of four categories. Maybe you're here today and you can identify with Hophni and Phineas. If that's you today, I, my plea to you is that you don't leave here today without getting that right with God. Do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear the word of God, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. But say, today is the day while I've still got breath in my lungs, while I've still got a chance, I need to turn my life over to God to realize that he loves me so much he gave his son for me. Won't you do that today? Then there are those of you who have been hurt by the likes of Hophni and Phinehas, by church leaders. And you've you've been wounded, and and, and my heart breaks for you. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This, this This is painful. But what you need to do is you need to say, I know that Jesus is king, and I need to get back up. I can't lick my wounds forever. And I need to say, you know what? I need to get back in the game. I need to get back. I need to learn to trust again, and I need to say, all right, with the help of God, I can move forward. 
Maybe you relate this morning to Eli. Maybe you're a parent and you're saying, I've been putting my kids before God. Maybe today is the day you say, you have a family meeting and say, all right, guys, today we put God number one. We're honoring him above anyone else. I honor him above my wife. I put, honor him above my work. I honor him above my kids. God's got to come number one. And then there's those of you, this is the fourth and last one. There's, there's those of us who are here today and, and we're discouraged. We look at the world around us and the sin that's happening and, and the way the politics are going and the way practice, the way, the way people are living. We're like, what hope is there? Well, let me tell you, when Jesus is a king, when he's on the throne, there's always hope. And what I want you to do this morning is, this morning is, to, is to say, I've got that hope. I'm not going to be let Satan discourage me. We're in the good fight. We're on the right side. And eventually we know who is going to win in the end, right? It's Jesus, King Jesus, right? So let's be in the battle. Let's not be discouraged. And let's say, let's fight this good fight. Let me pray.